Welcome, everyone. This is Sean Patrick Hazlett from Through a Glass Darkly. This is Jack Connor from Cosmic Road. And today we're doing a joint episode on the strange phenomena that is that is out there right now, particularly with what's going on with all this UFO, UAP disclosure stuff. So the first thing that we want to talk about is I recently published an episode about a Gary Nolan interview about the potential for some whistleblowers to come out and start disclosing a little bit more information. And there was some actually interesting disclosures about the provenance of the famous Wilson memo. And then for folks who were living under a rock or are unfamiliar with the Wilson memo, Jack, what's, if you could explain that and then we can, and then what, what was the re revelation that you may have heard, but now it's kind of solid and in stone? Sure. Well, I, I researched this a lot when it first came out, say a year ago, and you know, some of the details have slipped my mind. So please fill in the gaps, but yeah, this is the provenance of this is coming from astronaut Edgar Mitchell is a very interesting fellow and a very positive influence on research into the phenomenon. And he did some really interesting stuff. We could talk about that later. Well, but I mean, number one, he was an astronaut. He was an astronaut. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But he, he investigated near-death experiences. He, he, he compiled statistics on alien abductions. I think it was his research that led us to understand that 30% of all alien abductees are also near-death experiencers which is huge. So there's a huge crossover between the metaphysical consciousness, spiritual stuff and the alien stuff. So, and we owe that to him. So I really admire him a lot. But yeah, so these documents are coming from him. He had custody of them. I think they were given to him, I want to say, but this is uh, coming from a conversation where Stephen Greer and Admiral, okay, so, Admiral Wilson. It, so it was Eric Davis and yeah, Admiral yeah, Wilson. Yeah, Eric Davis. That's that's the name I was blanking on. Okay, so there was a what? What is his rank? What is Admiral Wilson's rank? So 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 at the time of the memo, the memo was written. He was assistant director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is the equivalent of the CIA for the De Department of Defense, and he ultimately became the director of DIA, which you know because he decided not to push the issue you're about to discuss is how he's able to achieve that. Okay. Well, Dr. Stephen Greer, who, you know, I have some issues with, but not on this issue. He has briefed several presidents on the UFO phenomenon, which is why I take exception to some of his, is the stuff he says, because he knows better, but yeah. So uh, he says alien abductions don't exist. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, but yeah, so from this, from, I believe the conversation that Eric Davis had with Stephen Greer and how did, how did, cause it's been a year since I've researched it. How did Admiral Wilson see this conversation? Was he, did Eric Davis give him the notes that he had taken on this conversation? Remind uh, me that happened. So, so there was a meeting with Admiral Wilson and Eric Davis in Nevada at, I believe, some aerospace 
company. Now, was this it was in with Stephen Greer? No, this this now, as far we? as I know, it was just it was just Eric Davis, Doctor Eric Davis, and Admiral Wilson, and the driver, obviously, and they were discussing this special access program that when he was assistant director of the DIA, he became aware of a crash retrieval program. And initially he thought, oh, okay, well, I need to be, I'm not read into this, but I need to be read into it because, you know, if we have a crash retrieval program, I, I need to know more about it. And he heard things, heard things kind of in the in the background about UFO crash retrievals, but his, you know, he's a very conventional man, very, you know, conventional military officer. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, that must, that's just a cover for like Soviet, down Soviet and Chinese craft. But it's under my purview because I'm running like a number two in in like the army's intelligence agency, the, the military's intelligence agency. So like, I need to know about these special access programs. So again, and he's in this memo, Eric Davis is just writing notes of the interaction because, you know, Admiral Wilson is just talking to him about this thing that he went through when he was at DIA. So he starts asking questions and people start getting nervous and he gets a phone call. So Admiral Wilson gets a phone call. So he goes to, you know, he has a meeting. I can't recall where it was. It might I don't recall where the where the where the physical meeting was, likely in Washington. And there's like three people who show up. There's a security manager, a who's like a counterintelligence type guy. There's a corporate attorney. And then there's someone else. I, I can't recall off the top of my head. But there's three people who show up, but they're not really military people. And he's like, what what is this? Like I'm hearing. And during the course of the conversation, it becomes apparent that there's a crash retrieval program that we've recovered, you know, non-human craft. And that we also have something called alien reproduction vehicles or ARVs, which are reverse engineered vehicles that we've we've tested. And these people represent a an aer aerospace defense company. Now He's just like, okay, well, like I need to be rid on the program. And the response he gets back is like, well, you do satisfy almost all the criteria, but you don't satisfy all of it. So I'm sorry, you can't be read in. He's just like, excuse me? So he's like, let me see a list of like who's read in on this program. So they show him a list and there's almost no politicians on it. There are a very few, uh, a very low number of military personnel on it. The rest of them were like corporate, corporate types. So, you know, he's furious. He raises the issue with the special access program office coordinator, which is the, the you know, the back before this, Secretary Perry reorganized the naming of these SAPs because they get out of hand really fast, right? Especially if you talk to anybody who's ever been on an SAP. So I've had interviews with David Morehouse. There's actually a clip called Black Book that you can look at about how these things things work. But it, there's probably actually more in private conversations. But when there's a congressional inquiry on a special access program, the people running the special access program, A, don't really respect Congress. 
I mean, do you respect Congress? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so they have that attitude, but it's like, you know, on, on methamphetamine, right? So what they do is they'll, they'll seed them a little bit of the information, but they won't seed them the core of the information. It'll be just enough to make the congressperson go away. So that's what they were kind of doing. They're trying to manage Will, Admiral Wilson. Admiral Wilson is irate because he's just like, you know, what the F? I'm like the assistant director of the de defense, the defense intelligence agency. I coordinate all intelligence for the Department of Defense, and I can't have access to like a, a program that is under my purview, black and white, no gray areas. And like, yep, nope, sorry. So he raises it with this SAPOC, right? This this committee, and they. And by the way, this is the story that he's relating to Eric Davis. So they come back with them and say, you know what? Like, if you really want to make director of the DIA, you'll let this one go. So we let it go. So why would a corporation be controlling a program like this? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? If you want to keep a secret for 80 years, again, I'm speculating because I don't, you know, I, Roswell may or may not have happened, et cetera, oh, yeah. right? But again, like I'm trying to be neutral, but if you want to keep a secret, right? Because that's because that's really not the point. If you want to keep a something super secret, and you have these like Freedom of Information Act requests, the easiest way to circumvent it is to deep six it into a corporation where like it's a private company. The, the, the public has no right to proprietary material, non-public information of that, of that corporation, unless they're stockholders. And even then, yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. And that has been uh, long the rumor that a lot of the Area 51 stuff, the breakaway group, has moved out of the government into the private sector precisely to keep it hidden. And, you know, that, that seems to have occurred, you know, decades ago. And, you know, that is interesting because Lou Elizondo, you know, very famous for ATIP, who really kind of got the ball rolling on this. Well, he didn't get paid for his job at ATIP. That was a side gig. He, his, his day job, one of his day jobs was doing security for special access programs and making sure people were not able to get into them. And so he- Or, had, or the information or the information disclosed, i.e. counterintelligence. Sure, sure. Yeah, that, that's, that was that, exactly. Good thinking, good thinking. So uh, he, he had access to a wide range. He says all, I mean, I don't know if it was all, but he was like, I have access to all the special you know, access programs, I was able to see what they were doing and know th this stuff was not in any of them. So uh, he categorically says, no, it's not, you know, a secret space fleet or whatever the breakaway group, whatever you want to, whatever, whatever, whatever there is, is not officially government. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I'm sure there are some special access programs that are sub programs or whatever. They can stay hidden even from someone like him, but I, I firmly believe that it has gone private, much of it, at least on paper. So Stephen Greer had a theory on this, and I'm actually inclined to believe it because it somewhat tracks with what I've been told from people who've actually been in special access programs. So in the military, in the intelligence business, there's you know kind of your normal you know operations and things like that that are. They might be secret, but they're not 
black ops, right? So, you know, you can be a head of the DIA if you've been like a tactical military intelligence guy who's been on aircraft carriers and your your goal is to assess what the Chinese are going to do and how many how many aircraft they have in their carriers and what the state of those craft are and what the what the likelihood they're going to do X, Y, or Z. And then there's the black ops people who are running things like strategic, uh, like disinformation campaigns, right? So campaigns that are like 10 years long. I'll give you one example. So there was a gentleman that I uh, you know, spoke to who, you know, during the 80s, the Soviets had anthrax. And we didn't have a cure, right? You just had to get the vaccine or, or you're in trouble. But they had these anthrax antidote pills. So he's in this office with this one colleague and another colleague walks in and says like, oh man, I got a horrible headache, Bob. Just, can you give me one of those pills? So he throws over something like this anthrax antidote. This guy pops it open, pops two pills. It's like, thanks, and walks out. And you know, this gentleman who talked about this thing, is just, he looks at Bob, who again, I'm making that up, the name up. And he's just like, Bob, what the F? <laughs> Like what is it like? Why is he taking anthrax antidote? Isn't that dangerous? He's just like aspirin. So there's these like they do these large, you know, and there's and there's a number of things that they do that are can be borderline. So another example is using the Mormon Church to infiltrate operatives in with folks doing their mission in like Central America, right? Like they did do that in the 80s. So like that's a black op. So there's people who grow up in those programs who who for 20, 30 years have been proven to keep a secret. If there's anyone in the military who gets pulled into these sorts of programs, it would be those people, not the Admiral Wilsons of the world. And I, that is kind of Greer's theory. And I, it, it does feel like it tracks, but I, I don't know. But anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, just to give some context. No, no, I, you have researched this more freshly than I have, and I really appreciate that. I've so many of the details have, have been lost in my, my my spongy brain. You know, once once I put something with some more information in there, the other information goes out. But but the one thing I didn't know, right? Because I didn't know that the Wilson memo was real. Okay, like I. I didn't know what its provenance was, but the fact that Edgar Mitchell, when he died, he had it in his effects. So no one even leaked it. It was just somebody was going through his stuff and they're like, what's this? Mm -hmm. And Eric Davis has not come out and said one thing or another. No, and, its... and, and, you know, Admiral Wilson himself has said that, you know, it is bunk. And there's a, a whole bunch of people that have chimed in on it one way or another and some of them say, no, it's absolutely legit. This happened. And some people say, no, it is, it's, it's total bump. So, you know, it's a kind of a flip of coin, whichever way you, you want to lean, you can, you can find an argument for or against it. I have found enough to make it very solid for me. I, I firmly believe that the Wilson leak is, is legit and that this really happened. And, and it makes perfect sense that it does. But I am somebody that believes in, you know, Roswell and, you know, uh, the government has been heavily involved in this and suppressing it for a long time. So I'm, I'm inclined to believe they would do that. And it makes sense to me that they would. But, but to others, it probably doesn't track as well. Yeah, for me, it's I'm, I'm of the perspective that I don't know, but I'm very open to learning more because a lot of this, a lot of this tracks in terms of, you know, if 
if after fighting a devastating world war that killed well over 50 million people, something is in your skies that could wipe out everything on the planet, or this has technology that could wipe out everything on the planet. At the same time, you're starting this terrifying Cold War with the Soviet Union. I could see at that time, if I were a policymaker, if I were like a Vandiver Bush or like a Admiral Forrestal, I would be hesitant to like <laughs> just add this, add even more paranoia to the American plate. Because the other thing too is the Soviets also, I think, had programs where they were using the, the fear of UFOs to yeah. not only that, like you also had the world, the world's phenomena where people just freaked out. So like that would have been fresh in your mind about how the population might react to it. So I can understand potentially there being a rationale for it. And then add on to the fact that, God forbid if we even, you know, if we ever recovered these craft and, you know, there are many indications that we have from, to your point, Roswell to the Bob Lazar stories. Roswell wasn't the first. Right, right. There's, well, there's, there's like, there's like a black, 1936 Black Forest yeah, yeah, and, I think and, it's and one. potentially earlier than that. There was a, one a newspaper that recorded, they didn't have a word for UFO at the time, but there was a downed, weird saucer of some sort in like 1907, and that they retracted, the, the newspaper retracted the next day. And Well, and you also have the miracle of Fatima, right? Was it really the sun dancing in the sky? Right, right. Of course, that could have been more of a metaphysical thing. That could have been some yeah. sort of you know, extra dimensional event that happened or consciousness event that happened, but that, that does seem to be a real event of some sort. But yeah, so yeah, I think the government has been suppressing this for a long time, at least since the early 1900s. That is where my research has led me. And it was, you know, if we want to get really kooky about it and, and, and out there, I, I love the I love the giants. I love I love the whole the, the giant thing, right? The Citeca, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh. so I don't know Citeca. What is Citeca? So there were, you know, throughout the there's 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 the mounds, right? As an example, throughout like the Native American burial mounds. There's Native also mountain. I, I want to say in like Loveland or Loveland. I can't remember the name of the town in Utah. Or sorry, in Nevada where they found these like uh, giant bones. There's, there's, there, there's, there's views that the Smithsonian used to have these. Yeah. I mean, I've heard, I've heard both, both sides. Like I've heard, like, I think National Geographic has been trying its damnedest to like suppress what they consider disinformation about this thing. Like it's a, it's, it's a hoax. I, I don't, I haven't investigated the phenomena to really know. There's a, there's another apocryphal story called the, have you heard the giant of Kandahar story? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's, you, you're the military guy. You, you give me your perspective. On I, that. I, I've talked to, I've talked to a lot of people in Afghanistan. It's, 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 yes. <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's not, okay. it's not it, it, it sounded too juicy to be true. Yeah. It's, it, it's a great story. Like I, I, I would love it to be true. And they're always very specific about like the six fingers and the six toes. And, yeah. and but there's only like three witnesses that have come forward about it. You know, witnesses. Uh, yeah. One of them's like an air force guy that claims he right, like transported right, the body or. But, but, the, but the phenomenon of the giant seems to be a real deal. And it was very mainstream yeah. back in the day. 
there were all sorts of newspaper articles about people finding giant bones. And these weren't misidentified mammoth bones or something of that order or a dinosaur because there were the skulls, the human-shaped skulls. And there, there were, but it was fairly mainstream, like I said. There, there were at least two New York Times articles about people mm. finding giant bones. So this was very mainstream. It was, well, I wouldn't say because it was commonplace, but it happened every now and then. And then in the early 1900s, somebody worldwide cracked down on this topic and you stopped seeing these reports. I think the latest one was in the 19-teens, but pretty much by the first decade of the 1900s, they petered out. And that's right when that uh, first story of the government forcing this newspaper to retract this UFO story occurred. So that's where my research has led me to believe that the government has been involved in this in some capacity, whether it's just to prevent hysteria or to control the narrative, or if they've actually actually actively been involved in dealing with the beings, that, that's been for at least 100 years in one shape or another. So what do you think, based on what you've read and, and studied, what do you think is really going on behind the scenes? God, I, I don't know. I, I really, I really don't know. But I do believe that the government is involved in it. I have studied countless UFO abduction stories where the abductees have seen government officials and military people working with the beings. Now that seems to be separate from the actual my labs or military abductions. And uh, so the and this is for people who don't understand what my labs are. Uh, what just really quick, what are they for the viewers? Well, th those are when people get abducted in a very alien abduction way, even to the point of having their memories wiped and having to recover these memories through a regression hypnosis. So it's, it just mimics the alien abduction phenomenon almost to a T, but they're, they're dealing with military guys. And when they are regressed, what they often experience is that the uh, military guys are trying to get them, because these, these are alien abductees that have been kidnapped by the military, and the military seems to be trying to find out mm -hmm. what the aliens are doing, which is fascinating if that's true, and it seems to be, because there's so many cases that get so many details congruent with each other. But so if the other stories about some, sometimes by the same people are, 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 are true, that the aliens are working with the government, that means there is one faction that is not involved in that, that is trying to find out what the other faction is doing. There's one faction that isn't involved with the beings and one faction that is not. And it may, you know, so maybe the faction that is not is the one that is reverse engineering technology on their own. They have some re recovered craft or material and they've been able to develop, you know, the Aurora or whatever, you know, whatever experimental black ops ship they have that has non-mundane exotic technology and then there is the area 51 and breakaway group that uh, is actually actively working with the beings so then there's one step beyond that and that's all the secret space space fleet stuff that i can't quite make myself believe but you know the more i've researched it i've seen a lot of evidence for it but you also see evidence for the giant of kandahar so you know <laughs> yeah so but yeah, I do believe that some faction of the government or somebody that used to be in the government, like we were saying, maybe it's all in the private sector now or largely, at least on paper, in the private sector. So somebody in an official capacity is working with the beings and probably has been for a while.
Yeah, so I don't have like a strong narrative around this. It's more of a range of possibilities. So the most mundane of these, anybody who says that there aren't, or that the the sightings that people have experienced aren't real, i.e. like the intelligently or apparently intelligently controlled objects with the, like the Nimitz videos and the Roosevelt videos, like the, like the Neil deGrasse Tyson view that it's all, like, I think he's, you know, wronger than a football bat on that. Like, he's just, there are things in our skies that we don't know what they are. Like that is a hundred percent that appeared to operate in an, in an intelligent manner. I think while there's a debate on it, I don't, I don't, I, don't I, I think the evidence is overwhelming at this point. So at a minimum, our government, you know, is aware of this phenomena, but they have no idea what it is. Therefore, if you have no idea what it is and you're running a national security state, right? And you're 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 sucking up seven hundred billion dollars of taxpayer money every year. The last thing that you you want to do is is come out to the public and say, "Hey guys, we've been observing these things since the dawn of human civilization. We don't know what they are, but there are some people who claim that they come into their households and abduct them." and experiment on them and then drop them back in, you know, into the population. We see cattle mutilations. We have no idea what they're doing. We can't stop them, but we think they mean us no harm, right? Good luck, right? Like, like imagine trying to write that speech for a U.S. president, right? Like you just, so that's, that's the most mundane explanation that I can come up with. That's perfectly plausible. On the other extreme, you know, you can go with the whole, you know, you can, again, I'm not endorsing, I'm not endorsing either view, but I'm open, I'm open to a, a wide variety of different possibilities. On the other extreme, Roswell happened. We recovered alien technology. We took the craft, we parsed it out to various companies to extract as much technology as we can. Some of the technology that we were able to intuit from that, it may not, we may not have been able to reverse engineer, but it may have given us ideas ranging from the transistor to the night vision to any number of, of different technologies. And the rationale for keeping it quiet is that again in, in the Cold War time period, if you have access to highly exotic technology, you don't want the Soviets to know about it. You don't want the Soviets to know who's even working on the program because they're going to start targeting their family. They're going to start trying to steal the secrets, just like they did with the Rosenbergs, right? When they stole the you know atomic secrets and things like that. Because this is a secret that is far above and beyond that. Uh, and in the, and in the same extreme right you know maybe we've made contact and maybe we are working with certain elements of whatever species are out there because there might not be you know there's probably more than one if you know the diversity of earth and and the species on earth is any indication if you're talking about trillions of stars that have been around in the universe that's 13.5 billion years old right it's almost a certainty that another civilization has developed, you know, hundreds, millions, even billions of years longer than 
we've we've been around. We've only been on this planet for, or this planet's only been in existence for four and a half billion years, right? So there's you know two thirds of the time you know in the universe, two thirds to three quarters of the time in the universe, your planet wasn't even here. So you know imagine if you know we're working with those species, but we're not working with other governments. There's a, there's an incentive to try to achieve technological breakthroughs as much as possible before the other guys can. If you listen to Ross Kothart, he's actually indicated that the Chinese have been very aggressive about going after anybody who they even have a whiff of is associated with some of these projects, poisoning them, doing all sorts of things like that, which if you're the Chinese, you would absolutely do that because this is an existential, this is an ex no, think about it. If we were to develop this technology, there would be no one on earth who could oppose us. No one. Full stop. Same thing with the Chinese. If they if they got to it first, we would absolutely murder people to keep this thing we have. in our hands. Well, and that's uh, actually I'd like to hear because I've suggested that, but without evidence, right? Like if you wanted to keep something quiet, like at Roswell, there was anybody did anybody disappear? There was one guy that died mysteriously after being pressured by the men in black because the men in black existed at that time. But government agents that were trying to suppress this information were trying, just went throughout the town telling people not to talk about this or we'll, you know, kill you and your family. And there was one guy that didn't die mysteriously who refused to comply. So uh, I'm not saying he was definitely murdered by the government, but there have been so many of those throughout the years, especially people who have looked into the deep underground military bases in the secret space fleet stuff which is the only reason I take that stuff seriously is that somebody is taking that seriously and that there is evidence that people have suicided. Multiple people, many people committed suicide. So here's an example I've always wondered. So to your point, and you probably know more about this than I do, how familiar are you with the Majestic 12? Fairly. I'm not an expert on it. Do you know who the Majestic 12 were, like which which individuals? Was Vannevar Bush one of them? I think so. I think yes, so. And of course, uh, the man that died, uh, who, you know. Admiral Forrestal. Uh, yeah, Forrestal. Yeah, he, he suicided. He jumped out of a window. He, he, exactly, exactly. And they're, they're, so he was one of those who, who suicided. And, and my um, understanding, like the story I heard long before I started following the UFO phenomena, was that he was so stressed out by the Cold War that, you know, he, with like the burden of preventing thermonuclear war, that he did that. But the more you think about it, like maybe he, you know, I, I, look, I would be concerned if I were in that position, but I wouldn't sue it. I wouldn't kill myself. However, like if I knew something else that fundamentally challenged the nature of what I perceived to be my own reality, Right. Or or my view was like, we need to tell the world that these things exist and, and we need to start changing things so that we can accommodate the new conception of ourselves in the universe. I think I, we should disclose it. And somebody's and the other the other members saying no <laughs> and then killing him. Right. That's also a possibility. Well, you know, Forrestal was a really accomplished guy. He was a really impressive figure. And it's been a minute since I've researched him. Again, I, I hate to forget this this knowledge, but 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 I remember being extremely impressed 
by him when I was researching him. And he doesn't seem like somebody who would cave under pressure or, or stress who would commit suicide under stress. Yeah, but he was a defense secretary, right? right? Right, exactly, exactly. Heroic figure, really. Would he have committed suicide because he was under a lot of stress? Or is it more likely that he was uh, suicided? So, you know, there's different stories, uh, different versions of the story about how he could have been killed. And one that he was really unhappy with suppressing this information and he wanted to go public with it. Another was that he heard what had happened with Admiral Byrd in the Antarctic. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, that? That's a, that sounds like a crazy story. Is that high jump? That's high jump. Yeah, explain uh, to folks, because even I, I'm like really... I don't, okay. I don't know well, that too there's well. There's different versions of the story. There, there's, there's, I've heard like four or five different versions of the story. And I'm not going to say that one of them is the absolute what happened. But, but yeah, immediately after World War II, the, the U.S. government sent, I think, two fleets of warships to the Antarctic to deal with the Germans that had established a base there. The Nazis that had established a, I don't know if I can say that word on YouTube. You may have to take that. The Germans or or the, the other one? The, the, the Nazi word, you know, for a while, for a while. I think it was called like Neue Schwabenland or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah they, they did have, they definitely had like, they definitely had a, an area. So, 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 so they had, yeah. they had, a, they had a research area that we know. And, and, but they wouldn't have sent two fleets of warships to deal with, with that. So, and they, 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 you know, seemingly came back defeated somehow. So, um, and Admiral Byrd was saying that there are, that we need to prepare, that the U.S. has to prepare because there are now ships that can go, enemy ships that can go from the uh, South Pole to nor the North Pole in seconds. So these uh, highly advanced craft. And so, you know, we don't know a lot of concrete information. Other than that, there's a lot of rumors about wars or a, a, an actual military action against, you know, Germans who had alien technology. And, you know, the story is that the aliens had actually helped the, the Germans in the beginning of World War II and leading up to it. And they had helped them develop this technology. And then when they saw that they were going to misuse it, they withdrew their support. But they still had at least some of this technology, and they were trying to develop more on their own. And it wasn't until the end of the war or even after the war that they got their you know, own flying UFO-type ships and were able to maybe implement them in war. And that's who Animal Bird and his people fought. Oh, would that be, would that, I mean, so we, we, we've heard of pilots in World War II, U.S. pilots have reported the presence of Foo Fighters, right, uh, which are effectively UFOs. So, and then we also, we also talked at the very beginning about the 1936 Black Forest incident. So do you think that's, that's related to the German thing and, and the, and the, Objects that they saw in the sky, were they from a non-human source or could they have been Germans? I think that the Foo Fighters were from a non-human source. The Germans thought they were us. We thought the Foo Fighters were German secret craft. And at the end of the war, you know, looking through all the documents, it does not appear that they were German. And since we didn't think they were ours, it's unlikely that they were ours unless it was some super secret project, which is always possible. 
Yeah. Uh, but, but, but doubtful, doubtful. So yeah, I think that was the beings checking us out, monitoring what was going on or something. I, I really don't know. Do, do, do you have any ideas? But I do think it was, it was non-human. I think this phenomenon has been going on since the beginning of human civilization. I, I think this place has always been visited by something. And again, I'm not I'm not even suge suggesting that it's extraterrestrial. It could be extra dimensional. It could be demonic. It could be some force of nature that we're just not familiar with. It could be like radiation or electricity before we knew what a radiation and electricity were. It could just be some natural phenomenon. I, but I am open to trying to understand whatever it is. And then there's also, if you look at historical you know, just fairy tales and things like that. There's always this reference on like elves and dwarves and like small beings and kobolds in Germany and who came up from the from the you know from the from the from the, you know, this, from underground and you know they could also be what's the term ultra terrestrial right? They could be people living underground, subterranean, much larger you know civilizations. I I don't I. I doubt it, but it's possible. Is it plausible? Probably not. So I, th I think it's important to be open to this stuff. And I think as more people are coming out with the information, I think it's becoming a little bit more reasonable to talk about. That said, there's also a ton of disinformation out there, right? Which, again, this kind of off, you know, off Earth space force thing one of the things that i've heard is that like the nsa and the jsoc are like running it and this and that but jsoc is like they only became they only got beefed up in like the last decade right like it just doesn't make any sense that this stuff would i mean as an example i i know a guy who used to be in delta like way back in the 80s and one of the questions i asked him i'm like did you ever recover like an alien craft and he's just like, no, <laughs> like, it's like, no, but there are missions that like where they would recover like Chinese craft and, and things like that. And, or Soviet craft in, you know, foreign territories. I, I, again, I don't know of any specific operations, but that would be more of a, a mission that they might be involved in. So, you know, when you get into the specifics, that's when someone with my background can, can smell, can smell bullshit. Right. Uh, here's the other thing that, you know, makes me question at least some some of the folks who've been very visible about this stuff. So recently you have Lou Elizondo, right, who's has a counterintelligence background. And then you have Travis Taylor, who's working on Skinwalker Ranch, while at the same time is employed by the Pentagon. Right. I don't think that's an accident. I think he's there to gather information on behalf of on behalf of both and I also think that he may have a messaging role i if there's something that cuts a little close to classified information steer these guys off a little bit like just point to something else and 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 keep them going you know, as an example, if you remember, if you recall the episode where they actually started making a ton of progress beneath that beneath the mesa, 
was when he wasn't there. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. He was probably off working for the UAP task force at that point. Yeah, now look, I'm not saying that's that's what's happening. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying that, that that may be what he was doing when, when he wasn't there. Yeah. And the same thing with Lou Alessandro. Like, why is a counterintelligence guy the guy who's in charge of all this stuff? And I can, I can think of a counter narrative for that. If you're trying to keep all these programs secret, right, the easiest way to expose leakers is to create a honeypot. And the honeypot is, hey, look at me. I'm Louis Aldo. I'm famous, right? Hey, why don't you tell me your stories? Like we can make you famous too. And the people who come to him and violate their national security oaths, he's got their ass, right? Because that's what counterintelligence people do. So I'm not, again, I am not saying that's what he's doing, but I get suspicious when I see counterintelligence folks because that's what their that's what their jobs are are you know are to do. I just it's think a, it's too obvious if, you know, to, to appoint a counterintelligence guy to do that. If this was, if he was a disinformation agent, they would, you know, he wouldn't obviously be a counterintelligence agent. He would have some other official title or background. Maybe secretly he would have been a counterintelligence agent, but because it's so easy to point at Lou and say, he he was counterintelligence. So what he's saying is a lie. It's too easy to discredit him because of his background. So I find it hard to believe that they would choose someone of his background to spread so, so, that. So what's worse? Having him just out in the open like that or having someone just pull up his military records and seeing these in counterintel and saying, hey, this guy's a counterintel guy, right? Like you lose credibility instantly. But now there's like, I hey, he's guys- a counterintel guy. I think these guys have the ability to fake IDs and to, to create a whole identity for somebody if they wanted to. So that, that, that's a hundred. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah, that's that, that's like they do have. So yeah, so they yeah. wouldn't. I don't think. To me, it doesn't make sense that they would have picked Lou as a counterintelligence officer to to do this. Right? So so, but what? But if he was a counterintelligence officer, why would he be working on this on this well, sort of probably, phenomenon? Probably because he was already involved in secret access programs. He was managing their security. It was easy to pull him aside and say, hey, you're, you're a straight guy. You're not a crazy UFO nut. You know, the, the last guy just left. You want to manage this portfolio for us. So uh, that's kind of how they pulled Travis Taylor into it. If we could talk about him for a moment, because I think that's a really yeah. interesting topic. And I love Skinwalker Ranch. That's really what, you know, opened me up to the weirder aspects of the phenomenon. Before then, I was just looking into UFOs, but Dr. Travis Taylor, when he first started, and the story is, I mean, who knows what the truth is, but the story is, his version is that he was uh, on his first season of working at Skinwalker Ranch for the show, that he picked up these weird signals. And even though he had done, you know, stuff involving the phenomenon before, for like ancient aliens and stuff, he wasn't like a super, his go-to response wasn't that it's aliens. It was, this is a near-peer adversary doing something. These signals were picking up. Is somebody spying on us or somebody doing something? So because he had worked for the government, he had contacts in the Pentagon. So he went and he briefed those guys on what he was doing. So you could say he was spying on the show in the, the results of the experiment, even back then for the government. And he was briefing them on what was going on. And that's what 
got them interested in him. And eventually they appointed him as the chief scientist for the UAP task force. Now, what makes me think that he's probably not too overt of an agent. I think that he's probably keeping them abreast of some stuff, but he doesn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but he doesn't direct the show. He doesn't direct the course of the investigation. Not that he couldn't conceal some stuff or misdirect some stuff, but then he might, but he did speak out against Gray and Moultrie, if I'm getting their names correctly, the two mm-hmm. gentlemen that testified before Congress that were, you know, spearheading the UAP task force as the, as the heads of the task force. They were not the ones analyzing the data. This is the night vision goggle, like pyramid thing. Right. Look, I've used, I've used night vision goggles, like a drone on night vision goggles does not look like that. Right. Of course not. But it's <laughs> complete BS. It's complete <laughs> BS. And there were many witnesses and there, there were many, many of these objects. And this was over multiple days. And there weren't just the pyramids. There were also the spherical shapes that went into the water. And we have one of those videos that's been acknowledged by the Pentagon as the spear going into the water. So, so there, there were, this was a big event with many ships and, you know, in the, in the water, in, in the air, the, the non-mundane ships and the mundane ships. So to write this off as, as, a, as a drone is just patent misinformation by Bray and Moultrie, who did not receive that, you know, classification from Dr. Travis Taylor uh, as the chief scientist. Now, to to be fair, for plausible deniability, whoever briefed them probably told them that, oh, yeah, it's drones, you're the things, and like, so so they they wouldn't be exposed and, and have to lie under oath. So, okay, well, that could be, but don't you think that their chief scientist would have been in on the briefing? Yeah, but I, 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 but I think the chief scientist would have been like, it's the, you know, would have just told them that, told them the lie. And they're like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, but that, but that was, that was Travis Taylor. He, he says he did uh... not. Oh, so Travis Taylor briefed them before they went into the room. I don't know if he briefed them or not, but he was their chief scientist. Okay. Yeah. So again, I don't know the, if I were running like an an op like that, what I would do is I would take two useful idiots. I would provide them with fake information and I would put a wedge between the people who actually have the right information and like filter it through a bunch of lackeys so that they, that I would, I wouldn't be putting somebody up in front of Congress to lie under oath. Right. Cause it's a federal crime. Like these people could do prison time if they lied. So uh, I, I think what they were telling is what they were briefed privately, but I think what they were briefed privately is, you know, as we talked about earlier with special access programs, there's really not many people in the in the Pentagon who are in the know, right? Right, right. And, and so, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the breakaway group and whatever. It's not the mainstream government that's doing that. It's a yeah. I wouldn't even call them a breakaway group. I would just call them. That, like, that's Richard Nolan's Richard Nolan's term for it. That's kind of caught on. And I, I like yeah, they're they're, they're, they're like people working in the in like black book projects who, and 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 corporate and corporate entities associated with them. Is what I would. But, I mean, but they did. It. Well, but he calls them the breakaway civilization, because they have this high technology that the rest of us don't have. Is like a separate civilization. Yeah, uh, that that feels a little like to me. That feels a little. 
incredulous, right? Like it's, I do believe there are people working on these highly secret special access programs and their loyalty to the constitution is highly dubious, but a lot of this technology has been seeded into corporations who are solely focused on exploiting it for, you know, maximizing shareholder value and monetary gain and have more of an incentive for this information oh, not to oh, get you out. think that's what's going on i, I was thinking it oh was, yeah to, to me that's it was just being hidden in the private sector but they're that because they're the ones dealing with the beings that's to, to me it's just being hidden in the private sector this breakaway group i've pared it down from breakaway civilization to me that also sounds a little too fancy uh, so <laughs> I, I've, I've pared it down to great breakaway group because they did start. Well, I'm not saying like it's possible, but it, it sounds it sounds like it's it's like it's it sounds very, like crazy town to me. But it's, I, yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, that's why I call it the breakaway group. Although he's a very level-headed guy, he's not a secret space fleet guy. He's not a. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, we were talking about Travis Taylor. Let, let let's finish that that real quick. Yeah, because uh, I have a question for you that's like take us in a completely different direction. But well, yeah, yeah, Travis, yeah, 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 yeah. But just just to finish my thought on Travis Taylor. He has spoken out against Bray and Moultrie, saying that he did not make that recommendation about the Green Pyramids. He did not tell them that that was a drone. So the fact that he is going against the government narrative on this makes me trust him more. And so I don't think that he's necessarily misleading the effort to Skinwalker Ranch for that reason. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to believe. I'm just spinning different, different potentials. So the the other thing, let's take like, we can go with the minimalist and the maximalist breakaway group kind of thesis. Right. And I would say the maximalist is that there's like this, you know, secret, separate government, this and that like extreme. And the way I think if it's real, it's closer is this, you have a group of corporations that have access to the technology. And then you have people who are working black projects slash special access programs in the government who are kind of, you know, who recruit people separately and have longstanding histories that stretch all the way back potentially to Roswell, if not before that. Okay. And you know, there might be 40, 40 people. All right now, I think I think the Wilson memo said what 400 to 800 people might have been on this special access roster. So the issue with that is what makes disclosure so difficult is not only what we talked about earlier, right? It's just admitting that we even admitting we have a craft, like you have, you know, if it's that extreme, we have the issues with our adversaries, but also if you killed people to keep it quiet, right? You have that issue we talked about. The third issue is is legal, which is, you mean to tell me the US government seeded certain of this technology into certain companies while other companies went bankrupt, who didn't have this technology, who couldn't compete? And how did, like, you have a massive, a massive lawsuit that stretches back 80 years for every company that's gone bankrupt. And it's just like, what the heck? Like the government's choosing winners and losers are nuts. So just imagine if you're like the president's counsel 
And you're thinking about having to untangle that. Like what a nightmare that would be. And then the third thing is, again, if you take the extreme approach that we have all this technology and things like that, then you're talking about a massive displacement of entire industries. So the petrochemical industry, the utility industry, let's, let's say you have, you've had zero point energy for 80 years. Again, I don't, I'm just making this up, but people are going to be like, what the F? Right. So, and then the other piece is going to, the, there might be a fundamental rejiggering or, or realignment of, of the way society is and, and the fundamental nature of reality, right? Like if, you know, kind of like the Protestant Reformation, right? You don't need a priest to talk directly to, to God, right? right? It's the same thing. Like, I don't need a government. I, I've used that same analogy before. Yeah, that, that's where we are. Oh, now. really? I just made it up. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's the whole CE5 thing. Uh, we're, we're, we're dealing with the beings directly instead of going through the government to do it. Well, you understand the government's perspective on how that can be yes. extremely dangerous, right? Yes. Because the presumption there is that Everything in the universe that is more advanced is friendly and, you know, they couldn't have possibly advanced if they were aggressive and this and that. And, you know, my view is there's a fundamental degree of balance required in the universe. There's always going to be predators and there's always going to be prey. And you're going to have some entities that are likely good and some that likely do not have human interests at heart. As an example, again, we talked, I think we, I don't know if I talked about Dr. Morehouse, who was a remote viewer in Project Stargate, Grill Flame, Sunstreak, Center Lane, Scan 8, all that, all that, all those uh, special access programs. And he worked in the department of, or the DIA Department of Science and Technology. And he's a remote viewer. And they would do these project search outwards where they would just, you know, go and try to find a technology in different quadrants or sub-quadrants, because the galaxies are massive, in different galaxies in the sky. And he said that they would find warlike civilizations. And he, he said particularly people who, like people who were, who had, depending on what your background is, it would draw you to whatever that civilization was. And because he was a ranger company commander, he was on the 82nd Airborne, he would always get, not always, but often got drawn to warlike civilizations because he was a warrior. He resonated with that. That's exactly what he would say. So he would, he would see more of that and others would see more peaceful civilizations. But at the end of the day, he said he saw some, some, peop, some that were inspiring and some that were just like dark. So the the reason the government, again, I'm just putting my government hat on and trying to, to be empathetic, right? Would be, it's like, give, it's like giving a pistol to a monkey, right? Mm -hmm. Like for all, you know, you might call an invasion down on, again, I'm not saying that's, that that's going to happen. And maybe the way that this thing works is that you're only inviting positive entities and, and things like that. But their perspective is like some some you know some mutton chop out there might want to like give his wife breast cancer because she cheated on him, so she's going to call down some like malevolent entity and they're going to do the job and then they're going to they're going to do something else, right? So I can understand why there would be 
a hesitancy. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying uh, what I am saying is I have no idea. Oh, no. Well, okay. Taking the positive approach on all this, that the government isn't keeping this secret for diabolical reasons, that they're doing this for us in a way. Okay. So there's a few ways that could go down. And, and one is to prevent mass hysteria, you know, like the world of the world, you know, scenario, right? The other is also kind of what you're you're suggesting giving a, a monkey to what was it giving a gun giving a pistol monkey? giving a pistol to a monkey right, right. so um, in, in so, fact in fact there was a there was a i, I got to read this cuz it was in the new york times <laughs> there was a there was a ukrainian i think it was like a nuclear engineer he's talking about zaporizhia the zaporizhia power plant that the russians are currently at right now uh-huh. which by the way is like there have been several occasions where shrapnel has hit some of their coolant vessels you're not hearing it because our media is asleep at the switch but you have to look for it but there's a few instances like that but his quote in the new york times was i'm only giving half the quote they are like a monkey with a grenade (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyway sorry sorry i didn't mean to interrupt i had to throw that no no i think that's exactly right because that's that's the positive approach to all this if the aliens are dealing with some faction or factions with the government or the private sector, and they have given people zero-point energy, for example, just imagine what we could do with zero-point energy. You know, it would solve all our problems, and it could make all our problems. If we had unlimited power, just think of the unlimited destructive power we could have. Mm-hmm. So uh, talk about, you know, powering the world forever and doing all these magical things we could ever want to do with electricity and energy, but we could also blow up the planet. Even there's even more pedestrian problems with that. Like how many people would be laid off, right? Like, like, like you're in Texas, right? Right. Like how, how big is the petrochemical industry in Texas? Energy is a big deal here. So like all those people unemployed. Well, but okay, so that has been the narrative or the story for a long time that has actually been the energy industry that has been suppressing this. That has been, mm-hmm. that, that for decades, people have said that they're really the ones behind the hits and the disappearances and the suicides because they don't want this to get out there. They don't want, you know, this technology to come into the light. They're trying to keep it into the black sector because it would totally destroy this entire industry that is a, a huge industry. So, you know, I have no strong feelings on that one way or the other, but that is a a possible scenario. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying like, I think it is prudent to include that consideration. That said, I don't think that's a sufficient excuse to deny that gift to humanity. However, if it were to exist and you were to provide it to humanity, you would need to do it in stages so that you could manage the the shift that it would require of the population. Because the last thing you want to do is like, hey guys, tomorrow, zero point got it. We have a company that we just gave a hundred, you know, hundred percent to it. They have their monopoly, hundred percent market share. And uh yeah, we don't need those oil fields anymore. So uh, I think you guys need to, it's like the whole thing. It's like, well you can learn to be software programmers. Just take a jobs training program. You'll be fine. Right? Like that that I think you have to manage in a way that doesn't cause, as you imagine, I don't know how many people would employees in Texas, but it's probably, I don't know, 10 to 10 to 30 percent. Imagine that many unemployed, right? Like I have friends who fought in Iraq and unemployment there was like 70 percent. Well, what, what, what happens there? Well, if you want to pay somebody to set a roadside bomb, hey, you can make a good day's labor just sticking this thing out before a U.S. convoy comes in. Like, 
it, it is massively destabilizing to have an employment that 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 that's high. So, so before you do this, you have to have a plan. But the problem with our society is our politicians change out so rapidly. You can't really be thoughtful about it unless you have like a military industrial complex behind the scenes to plan it. But they don't have they have no incentive to plan it because they want to keep the secret. Right. So it's like this catch 22. I, but again, this is all speculation. Sure. You know, yeah. I'm just trying to be thoughtful about like it would be a huge adjustment to to bring this stuff out. So but, 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 then, I, but, but then there's all the story. I'm sorry, uh, you can, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. So the, the, the government's involvement in all of this, you know, how deep does it go? Because there's all these stories about how as far back as Eisenhower or Truman, that the president has been making deals with the beings, with the aliens. Uh, one, sometimes the story is they've made a deal with one race. Sometimes it's uh, two or three races. Sometimes the story is he made a deal with two and denied making a deal with one. So and that's usually the Eisenhower story. And so, and that's how our involvement with, our active involvement with the phenomenon began. And, uh, you know, with uh, the people being abducted and seeing military officials there and, and government officials there. And, you know, the, the, the reverse engineered craft that, you know, Bob Lazar is, is said to have worked on. So Yeah, which, which some, of, some of those crafts were, quote unquote, according to him, recovered in archaeological digs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I want to see that Indiana Jones movie. Well, I mean, that's what, that's what could be in that Mesa and Skinwalker Ranch. Absolutely. It totally could be. And, and that was just, you know, there were, I think, 11 uh, saucers that, that were at S4 that he was aware of. I think it was nine. I think it was nine. Nine. Okay. He was working on one of them, the sport model. But, you know, uh, theoretically, that was only one place that we're storing these things. You know, uh -huh. uh, there have been talk about, you know, these things at Wright-Patterson. And, you know, if the stories about the deep underground military bases are true, then God knows what is there. But, but yeah, so the, the government's involvement with this is very questionable and, and, and it could be going back a long ways at a very deep level, at least faction or-, or well, I, I, Another thing about Skinwalker Ranch that like, just two or three kind of crazy comments. So just bear with me on this. So they keep talking about this 1.6 gigahertz signal, right? So, you know, like Iridium cell phones, right? You know what frequency they transmit on, right? I'm guessing 1.6. There's like a, there's like a range, like, you know, again, we talked about this gap in a signal, but it's like 1.6 something to 1.6 something, right? But yeah, it's, it's, you know who uses Iridium cell phones, right? Who? The, the Combat Applications Group, CAG, the like Delta, Delta Force. And how do I know that? Because there's a book by uh, a former Delta operator where he just you know, he talks about having a, I don't know if they still use it, but they were using it back as early as like 2005, something like that. So, and, and they hear garbled stuff, but it still sounds like anything that the military would uh, transmit would, it typically has frequency hopping capability, but if you're using a sat phone, you don't really necessarily need to frequency hop, but it would certainly have encryption. So, you know, there's a chance that they're just, you know, capturing you know, operatives talking to each other. Do you think that that's what Travis Taylor heard? They made him think that the phenomenon at Skinwalker Ranch was from a near-peer adversary, and that's why he went to the Pentagon? I don't know if it was that, 
specifically because like k i mean that's our own people right it could just be like the intelligence support activity which is known as gray fox task force orange they're like the intelligence folks they're also people who did remote viewing back back when they started as fog and and stuff like that but they're like they're like they provide kind of similar capability to tier 1 special forces organizations like the CIA right so like it's like the their version of the CIA so do you uh, think there's another faction involved because we know there's a, a surveillance by some government entity being uh, done uh, yeah yeah the government is certainly surveilling however that's the other thing too with with special access pro so like the way that intelligence is compartmented it could be multiple government agencies right so there's because in compartmented intelligence programs you know a little bit but you don't know the full picture so there might be some groups that know a little bit about the phenomena there might be some groups that know about specific like anti-gravity but they don't know about where it came from and things like that so you might have elements of the cia the air force again i'm just making this no making this that's, that's actually what brandon fugel himself said as they had been trying to identify the planes that were surveilling the ranch and they had come to the conclusion after you know studying this for years that the planes were coming from different government entities so you know that's fascinating to me and it, it there's okay so one thing that I think about a lot is the different government entities that are involved with this, because we've talked about the factions before, the my labs versus the actual abductions, the alien abductions. And then you think of like the compartmentalization of the army versus the Navy. I don't know if you've read, you know, uh, Colonel Corso's book, The Day After Roswell, where he talks about how they reverse engineered this technology or farmed it out to the private sector and you exactly. know, ushered in the you know, computer revolution and, and a bunch of other stuff. So Kevlar and fiber optics. And uh, so, but he was an army man and the material that he was farming out and his predecessors had been farming out were material the army had recovered from Roswell. Now this is an airport, Air, Air Force, you know, uh, situation. They they controlled Roswell, but somehow the army got well, stuff. Okay, well, yeah. Here's the thing. So, I don't, I don't think the Air Force was established yet. It used, it was the Army Air Corps during Roswell. Okay, that would make sense. That would make yeah. Sense. So, so that's, I'd have to double check, which is actually interesting. The other thing, the other timeline to look at is when the CIA, the NSA, and all these large organizations were first established. It was roughly during the same period. I think they passed the National Security Act. So, like. Sometime briefly after Roswell, you had the establishment of all these large intelligence app, app, apparatus that seemed to come right after Roswell. And then, of course, you had Eisenhower's farewell speech warning about the, mil, you know, the, the danger of the growth of the military industrial complex, which seemed to come out of nowhere unless you knew some add stuff. the context to this. Right. 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 Well, uh, so. To get back to Colonel Corso and, you know, the, the day after Roswell. So he talks about you know, farming out this technology and the materials that they had access to that, that were recovered from Roswell. And it looks like they just had a few little trinkets and odds and ends. They, they did not have very much. So somebody had the full craft in the bodies. And that was not that was not them. So was that the entity that the Air Force became? 
because we it looks like yeah some, I, some of the stuff went to Wright Patterson at, at right. some point and then it was probably went to Area 51 or somewhere like that and uh, so in that Air Force you know even you know when it came into being and Air Force the Area 51 didn't exist at the time of Roswell but it, it became into being shortly thereafter and I think it was I want to say 1952 or something but yeah interesting thing like the Air Force has been completely mum on all this stuff it's the navy exactly yeah okay okay so okay so this this is where i get this is so fascinating to me because like the nimitz incident so 2004 you know this is the biggest most well-known incident as soon as the pilots touched down on on the on the ship and you know they they had their their data bricks i think they called them or it wasn't the pilots that got them but yeah. the engineers whoever got the data bricks off of the off of the jets well those uh, you know they were seized by these two air force guys what the, so these air force guys showed up immediately on a navy ship to seize navy data bricks so so yeah so is there some sort of competition between the Navy and the Air Force? Somebody has something, somebody has something else. Maybe the Army has some other stuff, you know. Well, and now there's Space Force, right? Now like Space that. Force. Now we have another uh, player in the game. So, like, I don't, I don't know what's driving us. So I'm going to change the subject briefly because I, you said something on one of your shows that intrigued me. And I want to ask you more about it. So... You said something to the effect of, and I don't want to misquote you, so feel please correct me. You said something to the, to the effect of, like the in terms of the alien or the extraterrestrial or whatever you want to call exp like experiencers, there was a high percentage of Native Americans, Germans, and Irish. So, like I know Gary Nolan is an experiencer; he's like half German, half Irish. I'm half German, half Irish. Like, tell me more. I'm intrigued. Okay. Well, I, I, again, I, 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 I wish this was fresh in my mind. I wish this is something I've researched, you know, a year ago. But yeah, so there are certain ethnic groups that get abducted more than others. And that is very fascinating. And the, the two ethnic groups that get abducted most are the Native Americans and the Scottish, if you can call it the, the Scottish, and if you can call that an ethnic group. And uh, another group that gets, that has a, a deep association with the phenomenon is the Germans. The, the aliens hmm. like Germans. They like dealing with the Germans. I don't, you know, you can read into that what you want. I have no clue what that's about. Uh, and RH negative seems to be in the blood type RH negative seems to be a very important and there are some people that think that actually people with that blood type are actually alien or were created by the aliens and you know there, there's all sorts of theories that aliens created us well i don't know if that's true or not but if so that goes doubly for the rh negative guys who have more abilities if i you know more psychic abilities than than the run of the mill population i'm not i'm not rh negative so I, I don't have a dog in that fight but that is fascinating and uh, I, I i can't remember if the native americans or the scottish have an above average incident of rh negative blood 
somebody watching this, please research that and you know get back to me. And so, but yeah, so there there are certain groups that get abducted more or have more involvement with the phenomenon or have more abilities than our average. And why that is, I would love to know. It kind of makes sense if the aliens did create these people or did design them, because that is one, it looks like people that are abducted by aliens or the beings, whatever you want to call them, the visitors, Whitley Stryber likes to call them the, the visitors. I don't like to call them the visitors because that assumes they are visiting and they could have been here forever. But they, they seem to be abducted over the course of generations. If you're an abductee, your parents will, one of your parents will probably have been an abductee and your children are likely to be, one or more of your children are likely or more likely to be an abductee. And so they seem to be tweaking bloodlines over the course of generations. So why that is, I don't know. Why they specifically like the Scottish or the Native Americans, I don't know. You could theorize that they're closer to the earth, that maybe they're more spiritual. You know, the Scottish, you know, fairies and mysticism is, you know, Native American, obviously very spiritual. So, you know, I look at this all, you know, recently, over the last couple of years, last two or three years, I've gotten into the whole spiritual metaphysical stuff as I've begun to have experiences myself. And now I have to believe that at least some of the beings come from higher dimensions. Willie Stryber talks about that a lot. He says they are fishers in the stream of time, that they don't actually exist in our time stream. They come from outside of our reality and dip into our reality to pluck out a fish like him and do whatever they do. And then they put you back, but they don't live here. They live outside of our dimension or reality, whatever that is. So why are they tweaking bloodlines? Are they trying to get us to have more abilities and be more in tune with the higher dimensions? Because that is something that he and others talk about a lot. And that seems to be a real phenomenon is that people that are abductees or contactees start to begin to develop psychic or spiritual abilities. They, you know, can have no stuff before it's going to happen. They can communicate sometimes mind to mind or read, read thoughts. They can heal with their hands uh, without any training. You know, it's just amazing the sorts of things that these guys can do in one theory. And in fact, this is what some of them have been told. I don't know how much you can actually trust what the beings say, but I have made a study of studying what the beings tell people. Because I, you know, like to hope they have greater knowledge than, than I do. But, you know, how much can you trust what they're saying is the question. But, you know, they, they have told people they're teaching them these abilities. And they're, you know, as an exchange for what they are doing with these guys. Whether that's taking genetic material to create hybrids, which seems to be a real thing. I, you know, that, that may be too out there for some people. If so, I would refer you to the work of Bud Hopkins and Dr. David Jacobs. David Jacobs wrote an excellent and very creepy book called Walking Among Us. When he details, you know, he has regressed thousands of alien abductees or 
He had thousands of abductees and he has regressed each one multiple wow. times, some many, many times, and has collated the information gathered from all these abductions. And over the years, they have gone from simply contributing genetic material with the aliens to actually getting to see the results of that and the creations of the hybrids. And now the hybrids have grown up and they are now being taught to how to socialize in society. And they're being taught basic things like, you know, the abductees who might be their parents will go over to where they are and teach them how to use the microwave or the teach them what a refrigerator is. You know, they don't understand why does food have to be refrigerated. So all these basic stupid things and, and they, they can practice mind control. They can go to, to a store and just pick up a shirt and just walk out with it. They can just, just and, you know, so, so if you read that book, you'll never sleep again. And, uh, but, and it's not just him, but it is interesting that other researchers like, you know, Dolores Cannon has an entirely different take on alien abductions and what her people tell her. And that's what I talk about sometimes is these silos of information. But I feel like I've gotten off of your question. But uh, yeah, that's a whole bunch of stuff. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.